This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot to go over. We appreciate you being here, especially during this time in which a lot of your schedules are more free than ever, but it's appointment listening, and we appreciate it, and the ratings reflect it. We're honored. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Marion Smith's going to be with us later. We want to get to a China expert, and we think we found one here, international human rights activist, uh, focuses on China, and man, do they have human rights issues, and have they poisoned the world? Absolutely. Are they lying about it? Absolutely. And are we heading towards a confrontation economically, diplomatically, and I hope not militarily, but we're ready. Uh, should that happen? Judging by the president's tweet last night, he's just about fed up. We just got jobless numbers in. 2.4 million additional people have filed jobless claims. Some of this is backlog. Some of this is just getting taken care of now as the applications go in, they get processed. Uh, we're at 38 million unemployed. We were getting about 100,000, 210,000 uh, filed for unemployment claims. That was low. We were at about 2.9% unemployment. We were almost in full unemployment as a country. Now we're heading towards 30%, and there's one reason why. We'll talk about all that. Also, the president's going to Michigan today. It's starting to look like a, a political trip. He wants to go ahead and separate himself from that governor whose ratings are high, but I can't see it. I think she's been totally ineffective and oppressive to the people of Michigan. I don't vote there, but you tell me. one 408 7669 We'll discuss that. So the president goes to Michigan. And also today, Fox has confirmed that Congress, Texas Congressman, Radcliffe uh, will get a vote, up and down vote, to be the next DNI replacing Rick Grinnell, who's been acting and has done a tremendous job. Uh, that should be about noon today. He's expected to at least get uh, his entire party to vote for him, and who knows, other people will recognize his great legal mind, his professionalism, and vote as well. So, meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I would love to see the release of that transcript. No defense lawyer for General Flynn has been allowed to hear the recording or see the transcript. And frankly, I would want both because I can't trust the FBI. Wow. Something they agree on. The Flynn fiasco. Susan Rice and Michael Flynn's attorney agree. They are all want the transcript of all the calls between Flynn and Kislyak. They want the conversations verbatim. Not 302s, which are summaries, which, by the way, are missing. We will bring you what we know about the targeting of the three-star general. Number two. It's crazy that we let Chinese companies go public on our stock exchanges and, and not live up to our disclosure and our regulatory requirements. We can't let that stand. I believe this legislation is going to pass, and it's well time that it passes, too. I love it. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton was on with me on Fox and Friends a short time ago. China. Moves to hit them where it hurts, in their wallets, as the president goes on a Twitter uh, rage, lamenting their lying and cheating. A bipartisan Senate bill is passed to knock them off our stock exchange because they won't even submit to an audit in the biggest or smallest companies. And leaked documents show 
they've actually had as many as 640,000 cases. Lying about that, too. Number one. Lockdowns don't work if there's already a lot of virus in the area, in the community, in the state, in the country. Over 20 states that have come out of lockdown have actually seen a decreased number of cases. That is Dr. Mark Siegel, a doctor who was I had the siren going when this pandemic hit, said, we got to shut it down. We have no choice. Saw NYU in danger of being overloaded and overstocked. But now he says it's a different story. Ending the shutdown. Doctors, business owners and students demanding a release of restrictions. Unless you think I'm overstating it, that's what I'm seeing. Yet in some places, the crackdown continues as the lockdown continues. Is this really all about politics instead of the American people? Sadly, when it comes to Illinois, when it comes to Michigan, and to a degree, California, I say yeah, and Washington State. Look at the headline of the New York Post. It needs to end now. This from David Marcus. He writes a column, and it just really, really says exactly what we've been discussing on this show. And you're perfectly welcome to tell me I'm wrong, to tell me I'm being reckless, to tell me I don't respect the disease. You'd be wrong, but I want to hear what you have to say. You don't have to agree with me. I'll give you the subtitle. The Big Apple is dying. Its streets are empty. Tens of thousands have been plunged into poverty. Our leaders have no plans, no answers. New Yorkers have already learned to socially distance. Businesses can adjust. The elderly and infirm can continue to be isolated. And I say that, I would say instead of isolated, be taken care of in a respectful way. And it doesn't mean just nursing homes where New York has lost almost 6,000 seniors because infected nursing home residents were erroneously and foolishly put back into nursing homes, and it went like wildfire, killing everybody. Uh, So many people, I shouldn't say everybody, and overstate something so serious. Meanwhile, it's pointed out in the column something we've been pointing out. You say we got to shut everything down, especially the major cities. Got to stay out of the subways, don't take the trains unless you absolutely have to. Uh, Non-essential workers should stay out of Manhattan, and they have. You go through Manhattan on any workday, 2 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 5 o'clock, it is empty. No business, no commerce, no money. Now, the mayor wants a trillion dollars. The governor wants, uh, I think, at least $65 billion. Just give him a check. If you took their money away, these lawmakers' money away, if you told them their salaries will start when you restart the city, I bet you there'd be more urgency. We're looking at a situation Well, they say it's just too dangerous, even though the numbers have bent, even though the hospitals are not overrun. You know, worried about being the hospitals overrun, the government gave you the Javits Center and converted it thanks to the Army Corps of Engineers. You didn't need it. Then you got the USNS Comfort in there. You didn't need it. And then you said, we need desperate need of ventilators. We'll go anywhere to get them. We can't get them. We built them and got sent to New York. They didn't need it. Now they are so uh, they are so in surplus. We have sent them not only around the country, but around the world. So. We bent the curve. We've emptied the hospitals. What is the problem? Why are you taking so long? Why are we not hearing about starting up the economy? Why are, we not, why are businesses wondering when we can get a restaurant open? Businesses that are on a wing and a prayer because rents are so high and minimum wage is so high, they are barely making money on a good day. Now you're asking them to restart. Evidently, last Friday, according to Catholic Charities, 3,500 people lined up for free food. That is so far and above anything we've ever seen before. It is mind-numbing. 
And I don't ask New York to lead. The only thing we're leading in is deaths because the Europeans were infected by the Chinese. The Europeans come to New York. It's a haven. Fine. We didn't know it. Uh, and they came in February. They destroyed our march in April and they left and they destroyed Europe because they had a disease that China didn't tell us about. But Arkansas didn't shut down. Florida barely shut down. South Carolina is up and running. Texas barely shut down. They're up and running. Here is Governor Asa Hutchinson. I'm not telling you to do something other states haven't done. Cut one. But we never issued a shelter-in-place order. We had a targeted response to the virus. Uh, We had uh, limitations put on businesses to stop the spread. And that has proven somewhat successful. Uh, But now that we're lifting restrictions and moving our economy forward, we're in a much better position because of what we uh, did early on. And we have to emphasize we take this virus very seriously, but we have to move our economy, drive it forward, and at the same time, take the virus seriously. And those are not two contradictory themes. And that's what we're trying to do in Arkansas. And it was great to be able to be with the president and showcase that today. And I'm, um, I would, by the way, I was able to, uh, I have a block open next, one 408 7669 So I want to hear what you have to say about this. I'm perfectly okay if you're freaked out by this virus, if somebody in your life uh, was perfectly healthy and got hit. It's rare, but, and that might have made you want to shelter in place. To me, uh, people have lost their jobs, their livelihoods. Uh, there is domestic abuse going through the roof. There's alcohol abuse going through the roof. There's depression going through the roof. I think about the parks being locked, the kids that are uh, going to school remotely or not going at all, the sports that are not taking place. They're not even giving us a chance to show that we're responsibly dealing with restrictions. I don't know if you know this, but 600 doctors signed a petition telling the president to open up this country, to open up Manhattan. One of them was Dr. Mark Siegel, cut 12. Lockdowns don't work if there's already a lot of virus in the area, in the community, in the state, in the country. J.P. Morgan came out with a study today that's really shocking. It showed that the European countries that were locked down did not do as well, have not done as well as the ones who aren't. And that applies to the United States, too, where over 20 states that have come out of lockdown have actually seen a decreased number of cases. South Dakota, which was never locked down at all, has had almost no cases over the last several days. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's got a challenge. I'm not saying there's not a meatpacking plant where it's going to go through like wildfire. I think the everyone's saying Texas had this biggest increase. It was all in one plant. It's serious. I'm not saying it's not serious, but it's contained within that plant. They decontaminated. It's back to work. Rest of the places are dealing with it. We get a hot spot. It's not, aha, I told you. It is, aha, let's handle it. Thank goodness people are talking about going back to school. Thank goodness places like Notre Dame are saying, we're going to start it in August. We're going to play off fall sports. We're going to end it in Thanksgiving because I don't want people going home and coming back. Good. I know Texas is going to do the same thing. Florida has expressed the same thing. Why Cal State threw in the towel uh, is beyond me. I'm going to come back and take your calls, but I want to change gears and introduce another topic, and that is what's happening with China. I love that on a bipartisan level, people are now, instead of talking about it, legislating it, they're saying flat out that China cannot get on our stock exchange with their products, with their companies, because they refuse to do audits. So we're going on their word that these companies are solvent. Evidently, I don't invest in that level, 
But the Starbucks of China ended up being a total fraud. Anyone who invested in it, it's collapsed on its own weight. Alibaba, we hear, is a great company, but they will not submit to an audit. So now there's a movement to kick them off the stock exchange. Well, they've made millions of dollars off American investors and international investors, and it's got to stop. Why do they have special standards? It makes no sense. We have to put, draw that line in the sand. And I think if they want to continue to be dishonest and deceptive when it comes to what happened with this disease, we have to continue to push back everywhere. And if strong companies like Australia, countries like Australia say, I want full transparency on this, and they say, you better not do that, they came down. Just because Australia is calling for an investigation, they threaten Australia and now say they're going to deny them iron ore. Well, we have iron. Let's supplement Let's let them know we got their back. I'll talk more about this in a second. one 408 7669 And go through your email. You can find it at BrianKillMe.com. Thanks to everyone that's buying. Uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback. And if you want to sign for Father's Day, just go to my website. And it goes to me, goes to my local bookstore, where I can personalize and get it out to you guys. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Those numbers are going to go radically up in the coming days and weeks because you have this governor, Ron DeSantis, this Trump mini-me. Why did it take so long for the governor? I mean, what? what were, the science has been clear on this now for a while. Is the governor's botched response to this outbreak? Is he going to be forced to own whatever the consequences are in the Sunshine State? Yeah, that's a great Brian Williams who knows more and is more sarcastic and just funnier than you on a regular basis. Uh, they are all Anderson Cooper, so mature, great journalist. He is 100 percent right. 
Uh, Florida is just overrun with coronavirus. Excuse me, I got it wrong. Let me turn the page upside down. Uh, it turns out they're not. The, the numbers have gone down. He looked at his whole state and said, it's so diverse. I'm worried about Miami. I'm worried about Fort Lauderdale. I'm not worried about Jacksonville. I'm going to keep an eye on, on uh, Orlando. And he opens it up section by section, and it is now rolling. And again, look for that, that state economy to keep going. And Ron DeSantis, his approval rating dropped under 50%, while Governor Cuomo, with numbers through the roof here in New York, worst in the world, I'm not saying it's all his fault, but if you're looking at the bottom line, it looks terrible. If you're looking at his comments in March that this was not going to be a big deal, it is awful. So Ron DeSantis in Orlando yesterday, let the media have it. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. I... I thoroughly understand it. it is you like you whine like a top and you see these people who don't know what you see and yeah you take a risk and you care about people's welfare but the first thing you do is protect the seniors and then the next thing you do, obviously the nursing homes and the villages and things like that why it could be underlying conditions the older you get the more susceptible you are not just the coronavirus but to everything logic tells you that not a scientist and then you say who's the most susceptible what do we do about the colleges what do we do about the schools and then you start working it rather than just shutting it down. And it make you look so powerful and it must feel great. And you got people all scared. Just I got an email and I, I said before, I'm totally with the New York Post. Open it up to New York and symbolizing everywhere. I got this email from uh, Doug. He's in Germany. He says, I'm in Europe. Actually, Germany, listen to your show every day. I'm an American from Montana, making my living performing country music, mostly in Europe. In Germany right now, everyone wears a face mask. It's no option. Every person needs a shopping cart. The shopping cart is given quick disinfectant before you go in the store, but Germans do it. We can talk about that, but Germans follow orders, and it's working. My, my girl is a lawyer, and it masks every time, all the time, but it opens the economy. Restaurants are open with social distancing. I'm in, uh, I'm in the Hague, Netherlands this weekend, and it's like the virus is over. The beach is packed. No one is wearing a mask. We'll see how this turns out. Uh, Laura, Fox News Radio app, Chicago. Laura, what are you experiencing? Hi, good morning. First time caller, long time listener. Um, well, Thank I'm here you. in Chicago, and my husband and I, as I told the screener, my husband and I and my daughter, who is 13, we all had COVID in the beginning of April. Uh, we had been exposed to a friend who was a healthcare worker, got sick. And, you know, I, I was a little freaked out at the time because it was early April, and I'm an asthmatic. And, of course, you know, the fear-mongering on, on TV that they show on sure. MSM is, is you, you have asthma, you're going to die. And so when we got... Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
when we got sick, I was actually surprised at how sick we didn't get and that it was more it was more about like fatigue and headaches and fevers and that was about it. I mean, I had, you know, when they talk about that chest uh that you have a lot of chest um tightness, most of that honestly was I couldn't walk up the stairs. You know, I was just exhausted, completely out of breath, right. not even being able to walk up the stairs and that's what it was. But what we're finding in Illinois, and what's what's so frustrating to me, is that, so our governor, you know, thank God yesterday, um, the Joint Committee of Administrative Rules, our JCAR in Illinois, there's 12 members, and they actually were planning on voting against him. I believe it was either 6 to 4 or 8 to 2, but I was really happy that he finally decided to uh, go back on his, he was putting in a, 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 this rule that, it was going to be a misdemeanor, class A misdemeanor for businesses to open up, and he was going to start finding them and jailing I them. Know. Yeah, he and he's going to take away their licenses. It's a terrible guy. Terrible guy. He's rich as hell, and he wants to punish people for trying to make a living and save their livelihoods. I'm so glad you're okay. Thanks for telling your story. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But once the virus came in, once the plague, as I call it, came in, uh, I said, how did they let that happen? How did they let that happen? And how come it didn't go into other sections of China? Why did they block it from leaving Wuhan, but they didn't block it from going to the rest of the world, including the United States? And why didn't they let us go in and help them fix it? So I'm very disappointed in China. President of the United States uh, wanted so much for this deal to work. Uh, Our tougher relations end up in better relations. But this virus has just destroyed our economy and the economies of 183 nations. And it all came from Wuhan. It all came from China. And we still don't know exactly how it happened, where it happened. And we don't know the makeup of the virus. Marion Smith is used to some of the deceptive practices of China. She's a China expert, international human rights activist, and, uh, and of activists and victims of communism, Memorial Foundation executive director. So she joins us now. Marion, welcome. Well, I'm he, but it's great to be with you, Brian. Oh, you're right. Marion, a quick thing. You heard the president. He's trying to be somewhat measured, but reports are, and it's pretty clear, he's enraged about what's happening right now. Does he have a reason? Absolutely. Um, There are a lot of things we don't know about the coronavirus. There are a lot of things we don't know about what happened in Wuhan. But we do know that the Chinese Communist Party lied about the virus. They continue to misrepresent the data coming out of China. And they behaved in a predatory manner. Um, Not only, as you mentioned, did they allow uh, infected individuals to leave Wuhan and Hubei province and travel to destinations around the world, even while those same flights were banned Uh, to destinations inside of China. Um, You had Beijing through their embassies and also through the Communist Party's United Front apparatus around the world, um, an activation, a global campaign to scoop up as much uh, medical equipment and personal protective equipment uh, as they could get and ship it urgently to China, 
of course, and this was happening in January and February, and of course you only need that if there is human-to-human transmission occurring, uh, which at that same time in January, uh, Beijing was denying, and the World Health Organization was also repeating those lies about no evidence of human-to-human transmission. So yes, China is culpable in making that epidemic, uh, which could have been contained, uh, making it a global pandemic. What about the World Health Organization? Are they as in bed with China as they've been portrayed? Well, I think it's very clear that the leadership, uh, especially Dr. Tedros, uh, who is not a medical doctor, who was a member of the Marxist Party in Ethiopia, his home country, and for many years in Africa, was a campaigner um, advocating for Chinese communist investments into African countries. China campaigned for him to get that top spot at the WHO several years ago, and now we're seeing uh, what it looks like when uh, China corrupts an international organization, and they do this in all the organizations that they're a part of, and uh, they've used their influence to keep uh, Taiwan banned from the WHO. And so uh, we saw it with Xi Jinping's speech just a couple of days ago. The WHO continues to be a platform for propaganda. It is a politicized organization. And, you know, uh, WHO has done a lot of good work around the world since their founding, but certainly one of the most important uh, functions uh, that they play, and certainly I think that's what American taxpayers, uh, you know, expect, is that they prevent things that could have been prevented uh, that affect us, uh, like this pandemic. And so the Trump administration is right to demand reform uh, at a fundamental level, and that includes the, the, the replacement of top leadership. So, you know, the, the, the message is getting out. Uh, over two-thirds of Americans, 69 percent, view the Chinese government as either somewhat or very responsible uh, for the spread of this virus. Roughly half support the Chinese government paying countries affected by this. They've offered a couple of billion to help out. Are you kidding? Uh, two and three view China uh, as either a competitor or enemy. I think that Tom Cotton nailed it. We have to reconfigure our relationship. This is what he told me about an hour ago. Cut 22. The president recognizes that we have a complicated economic relationship with China. We shouldn't be in a position where we are today, where they have some leverage over Americans, for instance, because they produce so many of our drugs and medical equipment. But in a gradual step-by-step fashion, we need to begin to change that relationship and turn the tables on China. And uh, do you think we're beginning to do that as people move with the manufacturing base, or at least... Uh, stuff that has stuff to do with national security. You think we're moving in that direction, or are we, are we all talk so far? Well, I, I, I think a, a lot of Americans don't want to have a new Cold War with China. Um, but the reality is that the Chinese Communist Party has been behaving in an adversarial way, um, confronting uh, our allies in the region, um, isolating Taiwan, violating treaties, and, and essentially... Uh, taking the entire city of, of Hong Kong captive. And there are lots of human rights abuses, of course, too. But I think what this pandemic has proven is that uh, the communist system of China, its rigidity, its brutality, its incompetence, uh, the logic of how it works, it's not just a human rights issue in China. Um, and what happens in China doesn't stay in China. Uh, this national emergency that we have been uh, going through, the pandemic, uh, the loss of life, uh, the hit to our economy. All of these things are completely avoidable. Um, but it came to us because of the Chinese Communist Party. And so I think a lot of Americans are waking up to this, and there are leaders 
uh, like Senator Cotton, like Senator Chuck Grassley uh, and Senator Hawley and others uh, who are demanding this fundamental restructuring of the relationship with China. And uh, I think it is very much needed. Uh, far worse than having a new Cold War with China uh, is for them to win a new Cold War without us even realizing what's going on. And in much of the world, in Africa and Latin America, even in Europe, even with some of our NATO allies, uh, China is investing in critical infrastructure and uh, really doing things that are against American values and against our national security interests and our economic interests around the world. Uh, also, they're signaling, too, that China is looking to take all of Hong Kong. You know, they're arresting a lot of these activists while we're distracted with this pandemic, this global pandemic. And they said they're looking to improve the system of Hong Kong and keep it one country, two systems. What do they mean by improve the system of Hong Kong? Well, um, they obviously mean to eliminate uh, the free speech and the political freedoms, the civil rights of Hong Kongers who are Chinese people. Uh, who have never been ruled by a communist party. And, you know, we saw last year that 2 million people out of a population of that city of some 7 million were in the streets. Uh, it's very clear they don't want to be ruled by the Chinese Communist Party, and they thought they were protected from that since the handover uh, of Hong Kong by the United Kingdom to China um, many decades ago, and the idea of this uh, one-country-two-systems policy, which Xi Jinping has officially uh, rejected, uh, violated the treaty, and uh, now violating fundamental human rights uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and I, I believe that Hong Kong is uh, similar um, to to West Berlin at the early days of the uh, Cold War with the Soviet Union. It's a free population, and uh, we didn't give the, the free Berlin to the Soviet Union. And, and that sort of set the tone for many years of a confrontation, yes. But I think it uh, finally stopped the Soviet Union. And somewhere we have to tell Beijing, you can't continue uh, to reshape the world in your image. The Chinese Communist Party is the deadliest single entity in human history, responsible for more than 50 million deaths. And that same party uh, that is still in charge now, uh, conducted 31 years ago a massacre in Tiananmen Square and elsewhere around China of unarmed protesters. And that's one of the reasons they're so afraid of Hong Kong, because it shows that Chinese people don't need the Communist Party to be wealthy, to be free, and to live fulfilled lives. And within China, the pandemic and the failures of the party uh, in Hubei province and around the world have uh, proven that one leg the Communist Party had to stand on that it was an efficient manager of the economy and society uh, has been revealed for uh, the lie that that is as well. And uh, right. I we have to, yeah. the United States to lead the free world and confront Chinese influence. Absolutely. We let them build islands. Uh, we didn't do anything. They said they're not going to militarize them. They militarized them. Uh, there's been nine reported harassments of our ships and spy planes over the last couple of months. Instead of them being somewhat compliant because of what they've done to the world, they've been more belligerent. They got aggressive by even diplomats, making sure no stories or no politician speaks out against them. And when Australia and New Zealand and others speak up, they're looking to spank them. We have to stand up for Australia in particular. Now they want to deny them iron ore. We have to supply the iron ore. We have to be the substitute. We have to show them, show the rest of the world who doesn't have our strength, economic or military, 
we have their back. Don't you agree? Completely agree. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so we'll see where this is going, uh, Marion, because uh, I, I think this is going to be a real hot topic going forward because we have phase one of a trade deal. I know the last thing the world economy needs is a, co- a major economic conflict between our two economic superpowers. It'll add stress, additional stress here at home. I'm wondering if timing might be, the best timing might be delay. Well, I mean, our dependence on on China has hurt us economically, and we, we're realizing that now. There's almost nothing that China makes that other countries, including our allies in East Asia, cannot make. Um, but it is going to take time to um, get plants set up. It's going to take time to restructure the uh, logistical supply chains, et cetera. Um, but I think the American consumer, even as much uh, or possibly more than lawmakers, are going to demand this. I think as more evidence comes out about Chinese state-owned enterprises and companies, even some that are listed on American uh, stock exchanges, uh, and Americans and their pension funds are invested in them, some of those same companies are responsible for building and militarizing the islands in the South China Sea that you mentioned. They're responsible for installing uh, critical infrastructure and telecommunications in North Korea. They're responsible for helping to set up the police state, uh, facial recognition cameras and all of that in Xinjiang, um, the province of China, where there are one to three million Uyghurs in re-education camps and concentration camps. Americans don't want their dollars going to support that kind of stuff. And so I think as more information comes out, um, the American consumers are going to demand that companies be honest uh, about their manufacturing. Yep. And uh, we're going to demand more from our financial institutions. You already see some legislation being passed on this in Congress. And so I think, I think Americans can be slow to wake up. But when we do, we're very decisive. And it's going to be the American people, as the poll you mentioned shows, that are going to demand this restructuring. Our political elite colluded in many instances. Our business elite colluded with the Chinese Communist Party for many years. And that hurt the working man and woman in the United States, and it hurt the working man and woman in China. And, uh, you know, free enterprise and liberty, free trade, those are all great things. But you cannot have free trade between a free society and a slave state. And when there are, uh, when there's evidence of goods making their way into Western markets, uh, that are made with forced labor in China. Uh, we've got to wake up. I hear you. And there are, there's movement, bipartisan movement, to have them delisted from the stock market if they won't submit to an audit like every other company. No more special rules. I'd like to see that, something substantive. Marion Smith, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, when we come back, your calls, one 408 And some major news on Lori Laughlin. Uh, on her college scandal, which she's still facing, and the deal she may have just cut. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Thousands of meatpacker workers got sick, got corona, uh, got the virus, some died. You know, I had the job of getting out $84 billion in 18 months in the Recovery Act. The idea that you can go through the 20th century without with just 12 years of education and the 21st century. What the hell is he talking about? That is Joe Biden beating the president in the Quinnipiac poll by nine points, trying to make a point. By the way, Joe, the stimulus package that you were in charge of, which, by the way, I cannot wait for people to examine that. That's the one where there were no shovel-ready projects. You ended up just shoveling it to the states, your states. It was $850 billion, not $84 billion. I don't understand. What's, what's wrong with no, not going to college? What is his point? I'm not going, going to college. I don't, what is he talking about in the 21st century? I mean, that's the, I, I mean, I keep on thinking about uh, John Lovitz playing Mike Dukakis, who's facing, uh, who's, who's playing Mike Dukakis facing George W. Bush, Dana Carvey. And he looked over and said, I can't believe I'm losing on this guy. This is a guy, that's who, that's who the president's losing to, according to the national polls. I know, I know that's not how you do it, but still, the national polls has him up, and he's been useless. A terrible candidate, should have lost the primary. If it wasn't Bernie Sanders, somebody else would have got it, but nobody else was close. Totally propped up, and it should be scary when he goes out on his own. I don't, actually don't think he really wants to win. Before we uh, went to break, I told you about this story, and we have uh, the latest the face of the college scandal now will be going to jail. Actress Laurie Laughlin and her husband, fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, have agreed to plead guilty to conspiracy charges in connection to their role in the college admissions scandal. Laughlin is 55, as you know. Her husband's 56, been accused of paying $500,000 to get their two daughters to the USC. Fake crew recruits. They pled not guilty for more than a year and moved to dismiss. As part of the plea agreement, Laughlin will be sentenced to two months in prison. Giannulli will be sentenced to five months, subject to the court's approval. Laughlin faces a $150,000 fine, two years of supervised release, and 100 hours of community service. I wonder, in retrospect, she could have got a, probably a better deal had she not uh, bought it. Let's find out if there's... Well, let, you know what? Let me see if I can get a few calls in. Paul, listening online in New Jersey. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. What's in your mind? What's on my mind? I wanted to talk about uh, Emperor Emperor Murphy, uh, that's running New Jersey right now. Uh, people just need to understand who this guy is. Um, as far as he's an elitist, does not understand the everyday grind, um, telling us what's good for us. He's made. He makes just for example, he makes one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year, a little bit over that, for being a governor of New Jersey. That yeah. does not cover his real estate tax bill on his primary residence. His, his, prim- his tax bill is over $200,000 a year. For a, his house is probably worth $8 million. So you but have the way he's cracking down on you guys in businesses, what he's doing with these gyms, and without even getting, all, getting out and talking to the people about how to open up these gyms, he's trying to shut down all these gyms for our welfare. Isn't it, doesn't that just kill you? Of course it kills me, but it's not for our welfare. It's, I mean, it's, it's obvious. I'm, I, I, I don't have a business degree from Wharton. I can assure you that. But he is, I, I can tell you the reason is he's trying to 
bankrupt the state to get federal funding to extract him from the from the dire financial situation that New Jersey's in. It's it's a bankrupt state. And in a way, yeah, if they knew it wasn't coming, maybe they'd be a little bit bolder with the reopening. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate you being here. 1-866-408-7669. It's going to be a big hour as we come to you from New York, a place that uh, has really been shut down, locked down, while the numbers go down. And it's really infuriating. Uh, also, Chris Wallace is going to be with us shortly. Jim Rastenberger is going to be with us as well. We're a great uh, history book, just looking, uh, looking back at an American you don't know enough about. I think it's time to look back at these great Americans and look at history, too, especially as we get closer and closer to Memorial Day and so much of our success as a nation sadly had to come through war and sacrifice. So we'll do that. And we'll also talk about uh, what it, the president's going to be doing, going to Michigan, visiting a car plant, Ford, and talk about how they converted to help us out to ventilators, as GM did too, and also seeing that horrific uh, flood that took place there that is really devastating that city as that oppressive governor, uh, governor continues to lock down an entire state when only small uh, sections uh, are dealing with the virus, which, by the way, is bending in the right direction, which we were told is all we had to do. So we'll talk about all that and first get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I would love to see the release of that transcript. No defense lawyer for General Flynn has been allowed to hear the recording or see the transcript. And frankly, I would want both because I can't trust the FBI. Uh, There we go. Uh, That is... Uh, a very familiar voice, Sidney Powell, uh, the Flynn fiasco, Susan Rice and Michael Flynn's attorney. Well, they agree on one thing. They all want to see the transcripts of the conversation between Kislyak, the ambassador to Russia, and Michael Flynn. The country needs to see it. We'll bring you what we know about the targeting of the three-star general. Number two. It's crazy that we let Chinese companies go public on our stock exchanges and, and not live up to our disclosure and our regulatory requirements. We can't let that stand. I believe this legislation is going to pass, and it's well time that it passes, too. China moves to hit them where it hurts, their wallets. As the president goes on a Twitter spree, lamenting their lying and cheating, a bipartisan Senate bill has passed uh, to help knock them from our stock exchange. And leaked documents show they actually have 640,000 cases. I actually think it's a lot more as they're dealing with another outbreak. Number one. Lockdowns don't work if there's already a lot of virus in the area, in the community, in the state, in the country. Over 20 states that have come out of lockdown have actually seen a decreased number of cases. Uh, There you go. Dr. Mark Siegel ending the shutdown. Doctors, business owners, students demanding the release of restrictions in many cases. Yet in some places, the crackdown continues and the retribution continues from governors from Murphy in New Jersey uh, to Pritzker in Illinois. Is this really all about politics instead of the American people? Then there's this. 
The Brian Kilmeade Show presents The Humble. I was not talking about myself. The modest. I think I'm an egomaniac, and I'm not. The unostentatious. I think we need to go back to the oligarch intro. Chris Wallace, oligarch. Hey, Chris, welcome back. Well, at least it doesn't have me calling myself the king, and it doesn't have right, me calling I know. myself the receptive voice, which is so stupid. How can a voice be receptive? I just don't understand it. I've never understood it. This is what the kids, this is what the kids say when they get together. The teenagers, the people, the millennials, they always talk like that. And that's what I'm trying yeah. to do, try to get a younger audience. Yeah, well, <laughs> and booking me is really helping you with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, what were you thinking? Pete, you're fired. Okay, go home. Uh, yeah, your so, target demographic. So, so, Chris, you, you see the headlines in the New York Post. Uh, you know, Sean had them last night, and they're out. Uh, open up this place. You're going back on your word. You told us to bend the curve, and we have. You told us to take a pause, and we did. You told us hospitals are going to be overrun, and they weren't. You never used Javits. You never used the USNS Comfort. Uh, you said you needed ventilators in emergency. We have such a surplus. We're not only sending them around the country, we're sending them around the world. Do you understand the sentiment uh, with the New York Post today? Uh, do you understand the sentiment with the 600 doctors who said the lockdown is causing more hundred more harm than good? Well, I, I mean, look, do I think that we can, you know, open so slowly, safely? But the idea, let's just open up the country. I mean, you're acting like this whole thing was the hoax. Ninety thousand people. No, Ninety thousand people have died. And, and, you know, it's going to, according to the best estimates, by the end of August, it's going to be about 130,000. I, I, I don't consider that so great. I mean, I'm not blaming it on Trump. Or well, what's the answer? On, is the on, answer on to destroy I'm the economy saying. along the way? But this is not the answer. They, they were finding out that 87 percent of the people, Chris, that tested positive in New York were sheltering at home. Those are the words of Governor Cuomo. So we're killing our economy and we're getting the virus. And the New York Times has a story today, I know, the New York Times, that says that if we had closed one week earlier, if we had shut down one week earlier in March, we would have saved 36,000 lives. I mean, you know, go ahead. Oh, people, if you don't care, go out, open up. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I, can't I do it. That's not my decision. Finish. I, I have to laugh at a lot of people who are doing this who are completely sheltered, Broadcasting from studios in their homes, writing from uh, their apartments who aren't sheltering, but they're saying to everybody else, oh, go out and party, and it's like it's 1999. See, Chris, I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's because the rules of the politicians don't allow you to go to the restaurants, the bars, the hotels, the planes, in many cases, to travel. When you, if there was a way to get in J.P. Morgan Chase... And they said we can open up the doors and we could start doing this a, on, a, on a major basis for non-essential workers. Then you'd have a case. But right now, you can't make the rules and get mad at people for not following them. They're, We're saying they're, they're, loosen you them. Can get on an air, you can get on an airplane tomorrow. You can go to restaurants in a lot of places in this country. You can get on a train and go someplace. Go ahead and do it. I, I think it's dangerous. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I'm able... To, to do my job, my work at home. And, and I certainly feel for people who can't do that and have to go work, and I pay them all credit. But I, when I see pe these 
beaches that are crowded and people not observing social distancing or people in bars all together. Uh, you know, honestly, I think they're damn fools. Maybe I'm well, wrong. I one thing I'm if, wrong, and I hope it turns but, out to be great. But I think that to to act like it's all over and and you know let's just go forget math. That's a, that's an extreme. No one said that though. No one said that. That's what, no one said that. No, wait a minute. And, no, that's that's exactly what's happening. And you know what's happening. No, there are big crowds. No, in New York no, 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 no. I and there are big crowds all over. There are big crowds at beaches and there are crowds all over the place. And people are not observing it, and I hope they're okay. It's been too. It's but been. I think it's a very it's foolish been, thing to do, Chris. And I wouldn't tell my Chris, kids to do it. There are no crowds in bars. There are no crowds in bars. There's no crowds in bars. There's no crowds in restaurants. There's no sporting goods stores. But we can go to Target. We can go to Target. You didn't see the crowds in bars in Wisconsin after they lifted the social order. You didn't see that all those people sitting there. One day, and and by the way, and by the way, that was one bar. And by the way, that was a court order that said it's an illegal thing to uh, unnecessarily oppress or the rule wasn't constitutional. That was their deal. But when you look around and you see these guys who have put up plexiglass, have arrows on the floor, are ready to change their kitchen, change their food delivery, they're ready to go, they can't get an okay. And then when you have Florida... Of of 3,000 people in Florida, in Orlando, that they had to break up, do you see the people in... You know, I hate to get wow. repeated here, but do you, do you do you see the people who get in wow. fights? In, well, let's in hear. Let's hear from. Let's see. But how is Florida going, Chris? How's Florida going? Do you how's how's Texas going? How's North Dakota going? Great. If you look at now, there's increases in these in in states or all in, in a lot of parts of the country. Some places it's going down. Look, I I'm not rooting for failure. I'm just saying, be careful. And, and you're, you're seeing this. I mean, you see people that go into targets, that go into these stores without masks. And when people tell them to put on masks, they get in fights. They have to have police come. There was a there was a fellow in a target. All he was doing was saying, put on a mask in a target. And when he tried to enforce it, they threw him to the ground and broke his arm. You think that I, I, I'm you know, I guess you think that's OK. Right. Do you think it's do you think it's OK to take someone's. Uh, livelihood away and shut down a gym when they've already cordoned off the treadmills, cordoned off the ellipticals, made so, uh, so. changed the locker rooms because one because one guy at a Target in a, in a country of 330 million people, I imagine that guy's got a problem beyond that one incident in Target. It's more than it's more than one incident, and I mean if you if you watch the the news, you see that it's happening in a lot of places. I'm not saying. Let me be clear here. Because I know that most of your audience doesn't agree with me. I'm not saying that people should be locked up and when states reopen, but let's observe the rules. And the idea that you see this big thing in the front page of the, of the post and, uh, you know, let's, let's just reopen. It's, it, it, let's reopen with carefully and, and uh, safely. And you can't spin this disease. And let me tell you, if we get a second wave of this virus, and there are a lot of people, you know, you're not a scientist, I'm not a scientist, but I listen to scientists, I listen to people with facts, and they're not on the front page of the New York Post, and they're not on television, they're scientists, and they say to be careful, and I'm saying just be careful, follow the science, follow the facts, follow the guidelines. Right, right, and I just know NYU, uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Siegel, one of 600 doctors that said the downside of staying locked up is now uh, has been outstripped 
by the challenges of the virus are now outstripped by the positives of ending the lockup. Here's an example of a business owner. I just texted him. I said, listen, are you open in New York? He says, no. I go, are you ready? And he said, yes. He says, I reduce capacity, credit cards only, lines to get in, everybody six feet apart, paper menus disposed of afterward, plastic utensils, amongst other things. Everyone wears masks. All he wants is a chance to save his business. That's all he wants. He doesn't want a favor. He doesn't want to play the PPP loan. He hasn't even applied for it yet. You but know he's what? saying, I'm, I'm ready. For that, guy. that sounds like a guy who's following the guidelines. That's, I, that's yes. what I'm saying. I think that sounds fine. Great. Last thing I want to talk about <laughs> is what we spent the last few Sundays talking about, and that is the last dance. Here's a little of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Um, they were here, here they are. Michael Jordan talking about defeating my... Uh, oh, yeah. Here's Jordan talking about beating Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Cut 50. In sports, the stage is set for the Air Magic Show in the NBA Finals. Starting Sunday, it'll be Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls against Magic Johnson and the L.A. Lakers. You know, when you're a competitor, you want to play against the best. I played against Larry, and I've always wanted to play against Mike. Up until that point, it was a stigma that Michael Jordan, all he does is win scoring titles. He never wins championships. That was my chance to get in the category of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And he did. What did you think of the 10-part series? I, I finished the last part last night. I hope we're going to agree on this. I thought it was great. I, first of all, I love Michael Jordan. I covered Michael Jordan. I spent about a month uh, on and off with the Bulls back in 97 and I even got to play horse with Michael Jordan, and I beat him. That's a long story. We'll have to have that some other time. But I love him, and I loved him in this thing. I mean, he, was, he wasn't a nice guy. He was maniacally competitive, but he was a winner. And, I, you know, I know there's this big debate, Kobe and LeBron. As far as I'm concerned, watching those ten episodes, it just confirmed that this was the greatest basketball player of all time maybe the greatest team athlete of all time absolutely and uh, we're 100% the other thing I'm just shocked at there's two stories there's three stories today Horace Grant is mad at him because he was not the snitch Scottie Pippen says he wasn't treated well in the documentary and Jerry Reinsdorf said uh, the owner of the team uh, Jordan never talked about uh, keeping the team together that he wanted to and they didn't so first off, on Pippen, I thought Pippen was treated great. Yeah, well, did I mean, he, he, mostly there was a there was a bad thing. The time he quit on the team, he did quit on the team. He refused to go in because the play was for Tony Kukoc to get the to yeah. get the uh, ball and make the shot, and not him. And he said, with one point seven seconds left in in a in a playoff game, no, I'm not going in. He like he you know he deserved it. But no, I thought generally speaking, he was handled fine. Look, a piece like that isn't going to please everybody. And I look, I, there were negative things about Jordan, about what a tyrant he was, about the gambling, uh, you know, a, a number of things. But I thought I knew everything about Michael Jordan, and I learned a lot in that. I mean, the fact that he was calling his security guy, uh, Gus List, at 2 in the morning and crying about his, his missing his father so much, I, I thought it was a really great piece of work, and I recommend it to everybody. Get out. Go so, don't social distance with people and watch The Last Dance. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the la- and lastly, uh, 
Yes, sir. I just can't believe, really 20 seconds. I cannot believe they didn't do everything to keep that team together. It makes no sense. It's unprecedented. I agree. They won, they won six championships in eight years, and the only two years they didn't were when Jordan wasn't there. And, uh, you know, did they deserve a chance to win? Do you really think, I mean, Reinsdorf says he didn't ever want to keep the team together. Do you really think Michael Jordan didn't want to go for a seventh? I, I don't, of course I don't he believe did. that. Yeah. Chris Wallace, we'll see you at Fox News Sunday. It's going to be right. great. I just want Thanks to say, so much. Yes, we had a spirited conversation, but that's what makes Always Fox great. I, I love you, and we'll talk next week. And I love you, too. Back in a moment. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. With the right restrictions, tables six feet apart and away from the sidewalks, masks and distancing measures for staff, and other precautions, the experts believe that these services can open at a risk comparable to other outdoor activities. A business that chooses not to follow the rules can recover from a fine. It is much more expensive to deal with being stripped of a license or forced to close. Isn't that great? The people of Illinois can know that their governor will strip you of your license if you want to cut hair. Will strip you of your license if you want to responsibly open up a restaurant. Isn't that great? J.P. Pritzker. That's what you got, Illinois. I mean, that's what you have. I think this is really going to play into the election almost as much as Donald Trump, the economy, and the pandemic coverage. Because people are going to look around and say, what was the intent to safely open up the country? What was the intent with my governor? To slow it down so the economy struggles, so we reconfigure and realign what we spend on and what we don't spend on? And where the economy will be in November when it comes to go to the voting booth? If you just look at what Nancy Pelosi put in her bill in Rescue 5 package... And then you see the way some of these governors, the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of New Jersey, and the governor of Illinois off the top of my head have been acting. You wonder if there's some synergy there. And the big loser are not Democrats or Republicans. It's overall the American people. 1-866-408-7669. I'm as responsible as anyone, but I also understand what small businesses go through. And they are going down for the count. Hundreds of thousands. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think there's such a deep hatred of American freedom, of prosperity, of capitalism, of law-abiding bourgeois values. And the left is seizing this moment. Pelosi has a uh, 
federal jailbreak provision in the recent stimulus bill that the Democrats have put out. Uh, it, is, it is truly based on hatred, I think. And uh, also, the longer we can go on with these economic shutdowns, the more dependent citizens you create. That is Heather McDonald. She writes a lot about this, the financial welfare of our country. And as much people respect the fact that we're going to probably hit 100,000 deaths, we also know there's a lot of people whose lives are falling apart, who the economy is crushing. And I think there's a way of fighting this, being a vaccine, fighting with therapy, at the same time, responsibly opening up businesses from dry cleaners to sporting goods stores uh, to that restaurant down the block, uh, to the deli. I, the other day, um, we went to the cemetery and we go to the same florist every single time before we go to the cemetery. Florist is closed. I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, the nursery's open, but the florist is closed. How does that make sense? If you were a florist, you know what they had? They had something in front that said, on honor system, slip the money through the door. Here are the flowers. All of them were fake. But they just took, they, you know, there were no cameras there. This middle of nowhere. That's how desperate people are to make money and have a business and how stupid it is, the arbitrary way in which people are shutting down businesses. Oh, don't buy from me, but go to Costco. Don't buy from me, but go to Target, which has almost everything you could possibly use, including the specialty stores down the block. Don't go to the hardware store, go to Home Depot. How is this fair? How much longer do you expect them to deal with this? And in New York, they did everything. The front page of the New York Times, yes, it's dangerous, absolutely. Yes, it's challenging with the subways and the buses and the trains, absolutely. But they got ultraviolet lights. They shut it down two hours a night, and they've already cleaned it. On Long Island Railroad, they're going to uh, lessen capacity. You know why? Because they were challenged to do so. And I read earlier, if you listened to the show a half hour ago, what my friend is doing so he could open up his comedy club. And he just ran down everything that he's doing. To me, it's above and beyond, let alone his kitchen. You don't usually go to the comedy clubs for the food, but they got to make sure people can order whatever they want and feel clean. And if it's not good, the comedy, the comedians are not going to come and the people won't be there. So to me, it's not much of a difference. So I want to bring you to what's going on in Florida. In Florida, um, I think Ron DeSantis has 49% approval rating. They said he's letting the spring breakers go. Probably not a good idea. It wasn't. And he was very slow to shut down. It was. On purpose. And he's got a military background. He's not used to panicking under pressure, and he didn't. And then when it was time to reopen, he says, Jacksonville's no problem. I'm opening it up. I'm opening up Tallahassee. It's no problem. I've got a huge problem in Miami. It's going to stay close. And Broward, too. But then I'm going to lift it up little by little. I'm going to move. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to move. And the numbers have rocketed down. Listen to the predictions from the media on what is going to happen in Florida. Cut three. Those numbers are going to go radically up in the coming days and weeks, because you have this governor, Ron DeSantis, this Trump mini-me. Why did it take so long for the governor? I mean, what, what, because the science has been clear on this now for a while. Is the governor's botched response to this outbreak? Is he going to be forced to own whatever the consequences are in the Sunshine State? Hmm. Is he? The numbers have fallen off a cliff. There's still restrictions. Half full in some of the restaurants. Miami's just opening up. Everyone's walking around, they're making sure they're going the right way down the aisles for the most part. But their economy's beginning to stand up again. Cut four. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical 
partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. And he was just getting wound up. Cut five. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption, so they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, i got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Last question. You blame him for getting fired up? He's not having a bad day. He's actually having a good day. And he's amazed how many people don't notice the good days, don't notice that Georgia is going well. It's not perfect. Of course not. Of course there's risk. But no one's making you take a risk. We just want to be allowed to take the risk. Is that okay? I hope so. Because so far we're seeing a lot of punishing actions by governors in New Jersey and Illinois specifically. And they're trying to do it in California. They're getting some big pushback, even from that liberal bastion. So in case you think this is politicians against citizens or business against non-business, students against teachers, it's not. 600-plus doctors signed a letter saying, by waiting in place, by the elective surgeries going on hold, by people being afraid to go to emergency rooms, by people getting off beaches, the detrimental effects outstrip the shelter-in-place benefits. Dr. Mark Siegel, who signed it, cut 12. Lockdowns don't work if there's already a lot of virus in the area, in the community, in the state, in the country. J.P. Morgan came out with a study today that's really shocking. It showed that the European countries that were locked down did not do as well, have not done as well as the ones who aren't. And that applies to the United States, too, where over 20 states that have come out of lockdown have actually seen a decreased number of cases. South Dakota, which was never locked down at all, has had almost no cases over the last several days. So here we go. You could point to, as Chris Wallace did before accurately, Wisconsin, they packed a bar. I I hated that Colorado on Mother's Day packed a restaurant because it makes all of us look bad that say we can open up responsibly. What I think you got to do, and Brad Blakeman brought this up to me yesterday, Since we have less seating, be responsible. Eat and go. Multiple seatings can get these restaurants standing up. I think 80, uh, most of the damage done to the hospitality industry, people don't travel, they're not going to hotels, they're not eating out. And what happens? The doormen don't get tipped, the receptionists don't get tipped, uh, the waiters don't get tipped, uh, the the food doesn't get delivered, the people, the truck drivers are affected, the food... Uh, The chain of food is affected. We're seeing it over and over again. But 50 states have begun to open up. 
And there is some good news. And I watched this last night. Larry Kudlow was desperate to get this in as, as Sean Hannity went to break. So you have some music underneath it. So Larry Kudlow, who had to watch the best economy become the worst economy, says this is what he's seeing. Cut 16. Reopen. <laughs> Reopen safely. Uh, wearing masks in some places is going to work. Uh, keep an eye on the virus data. Uh, make sure you've got testing around and take your temperature and so forth. Yeah, I agree. Reopen. I mean, the fact is, We've reopened in some way in every state right now. That's really good news. President and the vice president said that yesterday at the cabinet meeting. But here's the thing. You're actually seeing small signs of an improving economy. Small signs to be sure. Automobile driving is up. Gas prices are up. Oil prices are up. Housing demand is up. Businesses are opening left and right. And look, uh, yeah, I know he's a cheerleader, he's a positive guy by nature, he always was on television, always asked great questions, Larry Kudlow, but he's seeing the numbers, seeing everything tick up. When you're flat on your back and you put one hand on the ground and you start to get up, uh, it's progress. And we were flat on our back, it was self-inflicted, it was almost a self-inflicted nuclear bomb we dropped on our country, where to preserve our health, we went away. And now we're going back in and seeing what's left. And I think time matters, days matter. Yesterday, we talked to a uh, restaurateur on the water, can't afford the rent, can't afford to shut out down for two and a half months, can't afford to miss Memorial Day. You can write checks on an account that has no money in it, or you can give them a chance to attract customers in. I saw a stat in Texas that only 15% of the, the normal business in restaurants is taking place. So they opened up the restaurants in Texas, and their business is only 15% on the positive, 15% of what it was. Okay, you got to win their trust over. The Johnsons got to go home and tell the Gonzaleses is great. Everything's great. I love what they've done with the place. It's pretty safe. It's kind of fun. And then their sports bar that ends up having anarchy and watching pay-per-view and jumping all over each other. Hey, guys, don't think you should go in there. I know you're 23. You just out of school. You're done with your semester. Let's not be un, un, you know, unreasonably risky. And that place will begin to empty out. But right now, you can't do that in New York People are stir-crazy. They're in tiny apartments. They go out, and now they're serving drinks to take out, and they sit around on a bench or kind of huddle in roughly the same area, and now you have these poor police officers who have to go down and tell these people who aren't breaking the law but are breaking the rules that they got to go. Just feel terrible for them. When we come back, a special treat. We take a break from the pandemic, a break from the election, a break from the Michael Flynn investigation, and we talk about something in our past we think made you really impact in who we are today. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's my pleasure to change gears just a little bit and bring in Jim Razzlesberger. He has gotten a brand-new book called Revolver, Sam Colt and the Six Shooter. That changed America. Uh, It is out uh, next week. So I appreciate you joining us. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. And, and of course, our two Sams, Sam Colt and Sam Houston, knew each other pretty well. So we've got lots to talk about. 
Absolutely. So Sam Houston, I had a job because he wasn't a president, but people, of course, know Houston, telling people how special yeah. he was. You have a harder job, but you might have a guy I that do. made as much, if not more, of an impact. Tell me about Samuel Colt. Yeah, well, Colt, uh, he was the inventor of the first revolver. Uh, this was the first practical multi-shot rapid-fire firearm. Now, when I say rapid-fire, it only fired five and later six bullets. But before this, guns had been single shots, meaning you, you fired it, then you had to reload it. took about half a minute in the best hands to reload the gun, uh, and which was fine in certain circumstances for armies, for example, or if you were hunting. Uh, but it was, there were some circumstances, and particularly in Texas, where you wanted a gun that could fire more than one bullet without reloading. And that's where Sam Colt came in. Uh, and um, as I argue in the book, his gun really changed how the American West was opened, uh, had a huge effect on how, how, how settlement happened in the West. Because they would, the additional firepower gave you additional power and able to take additional territory and come out on top with battles with the American Indian, come out on That's top what when it, it came to, yeah. Yeah, yeah so ahead. this happened, would happen in Texas. You know, the Texas Rangers were, were trying to fight against Comanche Indians who were raiding from the north. And before the Colt Revolver came along, they, they were well-armed, the Rangers. They had, you know, good rifles and muskets, but they had to reload. Meanwhile, the, uh, the Comanche Indians were on fast Mustangs, traveling at about 20 or 30 miles an hour, firing arrows at a rate of about 20 or 30 a minute, so by the time the poor Texas Ranger reloaded his gun, he was likely to be dead. Uh, then the, the Colt came along, the revolver came along, and there's a famous incident that happened June 8th of 1844 where the Comanche uh, attack, they, they attack, they wait for the Texas Rangers to fire, and then they come again, assuming, as always, that the Texas Rangers are going to be sitting ducks. This time, though, the Rangers bring out their Colt revolvers and they turned the tables completely, and they really turned the tables after that. So the revolver completely changed the game when it came to interactions between white settlers and uh, Plains Indians, particularly Indians who were on horses in the West. Uh, you know, some, this was not all a, a wonderful story because a lot of uh, Native Americans were unnecessarily killed, but it certainly contributed to how uh, settlers could go out West and, you know, with, armed with a colt. How did he, uh, so we know that you said it cost roughly $25, but out west they'd pay a lot more for that. He was a pretty rich guy, I guess, in the end, correct? He was a very rich guy, yeah. Now, he didn't get, they, they would pay in the California gold fields, uh, Colt revolvers, even though they would sell for $25, $30 in the east, they were selling for as much as $500 out there, which gives you a sense of how valuable they were. Uh but yeah, Colt, Colt had a, a crazy up and down life, sort of like Sam Houston. Um, he started his first company when he was 21. He was rich by the age of 22, then lost everything, struggled, persevered, uh, and then really largely because of the Texas Rangers, he got back in the business, mainly through the work of a, a Texas Ranger named Sam Walker. And then just as um, he invents this new gun, um, you know, the, the 1840s happened. You've got Manifest Destiny, the Oregon Trail, the discovery of gold. And then he's just off to the races. Uh, and he made he did make a ton of money. 
Uh, how, you relate, how did he hook up with Sam Houston? How did they become friends? Uh, you know, the first time I can see that they met was uh, in 1848 when Houston went to Connecticut and uh, Colt was sort of part of his welcoming committee. Uh, but they and then they would meet often in Washington. I, I quote a letter from Sam Houston to Sam Colt, you know, telling him that he should get married because uh, Colt, unlike Houston, was a sort of perennial bachelor, um, telling him to get married, also asking him for a gun. So they would see each other in Washington. Uh, Houston did a lot of lobbying for on behalf of Colt, trying to get the government to buy Colt guns because Houston, being a Texan, understood how important they were. Um, but they really, you know, again, as I say, really, their relationship goes back to 1836, the spring of 1836, you know, which, of course, is, you know, what you write about so powerfully, the the Alamo and then Sam Houston uh, winning against the Mexicans. Well, that's exactly when Colt started his first factory and his very first customers were the Texans, um, because, as I say, a lot of people didn't really get Colt's gun, but the Texans instantly understood how important it was in their land, in their, their very harsh and dangerous land. So they were his first customers, and they were customers all the way through the end. Incredible. Uh, what, 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 real quick, what led you to, uh, what led you to him? I, I had written mainly about the East. I knew a lot about industrialization, and you know that's a big part of the Colt legacy is what he did for mass production, machine-made, interchangeable parts. But I, as an Easterner, I knew I wanted to write about the West in a somewhat different way than had been written about before. And I came to understand this single device as representing more um, more important in the, gotcha. the opening of the West and the industrialization of the East at the same time. And I couldn't think of any one particular object that had a greater impact on America before the Civil War. And I thought, boy, that's that's something right. I got to write about. And of course, no one had written about him before. So, uh, and he's a, right. he's a just a great Jim, character. I'll have to hold you there. Jim Rasenberger, thanks so yeah. much. The name of the book is Revolver Sam Colt and His Six Shooter That Changed America. Thanks so much. Great message, great Thank book. You, Sensational, impactful person. Thanks, Jim. Brian Kilmeade From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Eli Lake wrote an incredible column that with the minute I saw it, Pete didn't even need me to book it. I didn't even have to request it. He booked it without me. Eli Lake wrote it. He uh, writes for a Bloomberg View. He just did a comprehensive look at the Michael Flynn situation and what it means. I met him, three-star general. He's uh, a patent-type guy, just says it like it is, very blunt. I didn't know how long he was going to last with Trump. I never thought he was going to be targeted by the previous administration, but he was, in my view. And this backs it up. You'll get details, new details. And Dan Bongino, he was born with an opinion, Secret Service, former NYPD guy, extremely bright, very successful podcast. In fact, he's on it now. Don't listen because he's going to come on with me. Uh, So keep it here. Two great guests coming your way. And of course, you, plenty of time, 1-866-408-7669. So um, the president's going to be in Michigan today. It's important for him. 
obviously. He also got jarred with this Quinnipiac poll, which is never you really kind to him. But he's trailing by, what, 11 points, 9 to 11 points to Joe Biden, the worst candidate I have seen in my lifetime. In fact, before I get to the big three, uh, Justin, play Joe Biden yesterday. Just for anyone who thinks he's getting better, this is Joe Biden yesterday. And we're going to create a new bio-based multi-manufacturing job environment to deal farmers in on the benefits of a changing economy. I mean, this is this is causing great anxiety. And there's a lot we can do that related to what has already been passed with small businesses that the president just uh, just hasn't hasn't done. Look, um, you know, uh, um, uh, a combination of uh, failing to move quickly. Hmm. I have more. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I would love to see the release of that transcript. No defense lawyer for General Flynn has been allowed to hear the recording or see the transcript. And frankly, I would want both because I can't trust the FBI. Uh, There you go. Uh, You got it. Uh, Flynn fiasco. We're just talking about it. Susan Rice and Flynn's attorney agree on one thing. They both want the transcripts unleashed, uh, revealed of all the conversations that they taped and I'm pretty sure it's illegal, of Michael Flynn and Kislyak. Can we? And then make our own decision if he was selling out the country after giving 33 years of his life to his country and helping kill guys like Zarqawi? We'll bring you what was what we know and what we know now about the targeting of the three-star general. Number two. It's crazy that we let Chinese companies go public on our stock exchanges and, and not live up to our disclosure and our regulatory requirements. We can't let that stand. I believe this legislation is going to pass, and it's well time that it passes, too. Uh, there you go. Tom Cotton, China, uh, moves to hit them where they hurt, where they feel it, the wallet. As the president goes on a Twitter spree, lamenting the lying and the cheating, a bipartisan Senate bill is passed to knock them from our stock exchange and leaked documents show they lied as we all thought about the number of cases. Number one. Lockdowns don't work if there's already a lot of virus in the area, in the community, in the state, in the country. Over 20 states that have come out of lockdown have actually seen a decreased number of cases. Uh, That is Dr. Mark Siegel, not a pundit. He studies this and knows this. He wrote a book about this, ending the shutdown. Doctors, business owners, and students demanding to release restrictions. Yet, in some places, the crackdown continues. Is this really about politics instead of the American people? I think yes. I fear yes. And that's what pretty much I've been getting. Uh, You come to that conclusion because there are certain governors outside a Democratic governor like Polis in Colorado that are just sitting on their hands taking their time, opening up their economies. Why? Because they want to tell a negative economic story because for three years, Donald Trump had a sensational one and they want to make sure that doesn't change, in my opinion. I wish I didn't have to say that. But when you see guys like J.P. Pritzker uh, cracking down on barbers and on business owners that just want to open with COVID-friendly operations and are told not, and then the headlines in the New York Post, open it up. Because you went back on your word. You told us if we bent the curve, we did our social distancing, we shut down all business, hospitals wouldn't get overrun. They didn't. The ventilators wouldn't, wouldn't go uh, empty. They weren't. 
In fact, we have plenty, and they've got plenty of hospital beds. Elective surgeries would go back. They haven't. And it was time for us to go back in a responsible way. But it's not happening. Uh, the governor here in New York City is not, uh, in New York is not doing it. And the New York City mayor is not close to doing it. In fact, he's telling everyone, you better not go to the beach. If I see you in the water, I'm pulling you out. While at the same time, he's letting our prisoners out of prison for a fear that COVID-19 will ravage Rikers Island, which, by the way, it hasn't. He continues our governor, who is a wonderful speaker, very conversational. I love his PowerPoints, but he has totally, totally escaped retribution for the, for the death of almost 6,000 seniors in nursing homes for a policy that makes no sense, even from a non-expert like me, taking COVID-positive seniors and putting them back into the homes, and it just spread there like a wildfire. Here's Governor Cuomo, though, not taking blame. Cut seven. Anyone who wants to ask why did the state uh, do that with COVID patients in nursing home, it's because the state followed President Trump's CDC guidance. The CDC guidance said a nursing home cannot discriminate against the COVID patient. So they should ask President Trump. Well, number one, uh, we try to go through the CDC guidelines. It's so convoluted. There are about 25 pages. Number two is, are you going through the letter of the law and every CDC guideline? Did you go any other? Did you bend it ever? I am sure the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Number two, there's a logic. If you have the room and you do, why would you put a COVID-positive patient in an extremely vulnerable situation back into an environment where there are extremely vulnerable people? At the very least, take responsibility. Not only does he not take responsibility, has he been lightly questioned. When he's questioned, he says, oh, here's politics. Politics? People want to know why they made the idiot decision in Pennsylvania. Almost all the casualties, two-thirds of the casualties in Pennsylvania are from seniors and bad decisions they made. The same decision the health, the, the health secretary made in Pennsylvania. While her mother got a chance to go to a separate facility, every other senior went back to the senior nursing home, the senior facility, and killed people inadvertently. Here's Jonathan Swan on the mysterious approval ratings of Governor Cuomo. He's with Axios. Cut eight. New York City in particular, New York State, is Governor Cuomo remains remarkably popular among his constituents when the death outcome in his state has been just eye-popping. That's the thing that I find uh, really tough to explain. Uh, he's obviously been very vocal, public, you know, you know, with these press conferences. But it, I mean, I wonder whether that is going to kind of match up against uh, the outcome in New York. Jonathan Swan weighing in. I don't get it. I, I think his communication skills are great. It actually, it's a great lesson for politicians. But remind, he's not that popular here. He won three elections. He's really running against no one. You know, Pataki was there, kind of petered out. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was the biggest name in New York. Governor Cuomo takes over because everyone knows his last name for Mario Cuomo. His dad had two terms at least, I think. And now as a communicator, acting cool under pressure, I give him high marks. Some of his decisions are not good. The casualty rate is through the roof. Preparing for this day was awful. We didn't have any PPE in New York. He didn't replenish the supply. He didn't have enough ventilators. And he leaned on the president. Was, was the president's response perfect? No. Were they totally ready? Absolutely not. But the numbers here are so much higher than any other city on the planet. 
Our mayor is out to lunch, makes decisions like we're almost never reopening. Schools are probably not going to open in the fall. And you better not go to the beach. Thanks. That's leadership. And get in line because I know you don't have a job, so you're going to need food. I don't know where we're getting the food from. We have no money. Ask President Trump. When we come back, Eli Lake unlocks the story of Mike Flynn, how he got to where he was and why he was indeed targeted by the previous administration and the FBI. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Based on your position of sort of no wrongdoing, he didn't lie, etc., that you would support um, releasing the entirety of the conversations that he had with uh, Kislyak, right? I'd love to see him. I think the so reason you would support we haven't that. seen him is because the word sanctions doesn't even appear in them. That is Sidney Powell, the attorney for Michael Flynn with Dan Abrams of Mediate, who's also on Sirius. And he basically said, like Susan Rice wants, release the transcript of all these phone calls with Act that are so damning that we got to ruin this guy's life and make sure he's not National Security Advisor. Eli Lake had did one of the most comprehensive looks at the at the takedown of Michael Flynn. The name of the, the title of the piece is The Railroading of Michael Flynn. It appears in Bloomberg View. Uh, Eli Lake, welcome back. Hi, thanks so much. I should say it appears in Commentary Magazine. Oh, my bad. Uh, no, so, don't worry. Eli, I write if I print, if, I, if you, you got it. So, Eli, tell me, when did you realize it was the railroading of Michael Flynn and it wasn't Michael Flynn selling out his country? Uh, well, when he was uh, forced to resign, I wrote a column defending him because um, I thought that the leak of his phone call um, to the press was really suspicious because those are intercepted phone calls with U.S. person information. They're almost rarely it's so rare that you'd ever see anything like that leak to the press. The only time that would be equivalent was several years before it when uh, when she was a congresswoman, Jane Harmon, had her communications described to um, um, a reporter who wrote, I think, for CQ at the time about her conversations with APAC lobbyists. And I remember at the time that that was, you know, sort of people thought, well, this is a little a, a bridge too far. If, if the government can spy on you, but then selectively disclose your, your private conversations, it's an issue both from a civil liberties perspective. But I always thought that this, the bigger point here was not Mike Flynn's civil liberties, as important as that is. It was the fact that this was really an assault on the 2016 election. I mean, Trump won that election. Um, I believe that there was Russian interference, but it didn't invalidate the result of the election. I also thought it was legitimate to, to investigate if there was evidence, whether there was collusion. We know that Mueller said that there wasn't collusion, and there have been numerous problems that were found with the FBI's investigation on that. But at the time, we didn't know any of that. So... To use leaks, I thought, and that was what I was basing it on at the time, to um, take out and to force a resignation of the incoming president's national security advisor on his, you know, third week in the job. Um, that was, I thought, 
a line that was crossed. It was in some ways a, the abuse of very powerful investigative and surveillance powers from the state um, for what was clearly a political end. Now we have far more evidence after the review of U.S. Attorney Jensen and the decision to the motion of the Justice Department to drop the charges against Flynn that the investigation against him for the serious crime that we were worried about, which was that if he was a Russian agent, witting or unwitting, um, had concluded in the end of December and was ready to close. And they found no evidence at all, so little evidence that they didn't even recommend interviewing him before closing that file. And the actual phone call between Flynn and Kislyak, although we have yet to see the transcript, we can surmise from his initial plea deal that he's vacated, but also from the 302 summaries of the FBI agent interview with Flynn from January 24th, 2017, that he had told the Russian ambassador not to escalate after uh, you know, Barack Obama yes. had, had um, kicked out 35 Russian spies and imposed some pretty mild sanctions. That right there is evidence that he was acting in America's national interest, not against it. That is exculpatory evidence in a, an espionage-type investigation. It is not uh, reason to keep that right. investigation open. Eli, let's punctuate a few things. Uh, they yeah. say this is uh, people that don't d- dive into it like you and I do, but you're in another level. They'll say, well, he admitted, uh, he admitted uh, to uh, lying to the FBI agents. Is that true? He did. In 2017, after enormous pressure on an unrelated matter having to do with something called the Foreign Agents Registration Act in the country of Turkey, uh, Mike Flynn did plead to one count of uh, making false statements to the FBI. Um, And we can get into that strategy, you know, from the Mueller prosecution. But, you know, regardless of that, when you find profound investigative and prosecutorial abuse, because a lot of this information was not shared with Flynn's defense counsel um, that has come out in the last month or so, um, then it doesn't really matter if you pled guilty. And also he now has, you know, gone to the court to reverse that plea precisely because he felt that there were so many things that he did not know about, about just all of these abuses and missteps and corner cutting in the investigation uh, into him that he wanted to fight this now. And I think that, you know, that is also right within our legal system. Right. And I thought that when you look at all of the evidence, and, and a lot of this is evidence that was never shared with the defense counsel until about three or four weeks ago, and let alone the public, then I think that when those facts are changing, you have to change your opinion on this. And unfortunately, we've seen a number of the people so invested in the initial narrative about Flynn sort of forming a, a kind of, you know, you know, a wall around any kind of challenge to it. And, um, you know, that's I think it's unfortunate because in order for so, reform yeah. to work in our society, we need both sides to sort gotcha. of recognize when new facts come to light. Eli, people point out that he went to that dinner, that RT dinner, that's a Russian television yep. dinner, and sat next to Vladimir Putin, the beginning of the sellout of the country. He just took a fee to appear. Bill Clinton took the millions of dollars to, to give speeches in Russia. Jill Stein was at that table, too. I don't consider that a big deal. Did you find it was? Well, for me, someone who, like Mike Flynn, and I say this is somebody who's had a, a journalistic relationship with him for, very, for a lot of years, I thought that it was inappropriate for um, a retired de- defense intelligence agency director 
and a retired three-star general to appear at the same table as Vladimir Putin, who's an American, who's a, our adversary. And um, that was in some ways a propaganda victory. And I think that you can say that I thought that showed poor judgment. It was not illegal for him to do that. And if that is the only evidence that you have that you think he might be a foreign agent, which is a really significant sort of allegation, um, right. then it doesn't prove any of that at all. And But more importantly, they investigated it. If the, if the FBI, you know, wants to investigate something and they don't get any evidence, then we have to have faith in the institution, and particularly the leader of that institution at the time, James Comey, to follow the evidence and not allow his own judgments to color the process of the investigation. And that's, I think, clearly what happened. I think that James Comey did not like the cut of Mike Flynn's jib. And he desperately tried any kind of pretext to keep that investigation open, including the invocation of a almost certainly unconstitutional law from the, from, the, from the 18th century known as the Logan Act, which has never been successfully prosecuted and hasn't even been a prosecution since before the Civil War. And he looked into doing that. And by the way, the Logan Act predicate for the Flynn investigation is mentioned in notes from, you know, the um, gotcha. acting, I think, deputy. Eli, General. what I want to do is, I'm up against a hard break, but I want to have you back and discuss this uh, tomorrow or next week because you went in deeper than anybody else. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I've noticed several things about that memo. One of them is just how strange the term by the book appears now in the lens of history, because by the book would suggest that you're going to do things in regular order and, and, and follow ordinary procedure. Yet four days after that memo was written, somebody that said that the investigation was going to be by the book, Jim Comey, sent agents to the White House inconsistent with at least any book I've ever read, especially the Justice Manual, which guides these things and all of the tradition of past administrations. So this was anything but a by-the-book investigation, and I think it looks like sort of a cover-your-backside memo to me. Now that we know it was White House counsel that told Susan Rice to write that memo, basically saying, I'm great, uh, President Obama's great, and James Comey's by the book. Matt Whitaker, one of the first to see the Mueller report, after he took over for uh, Attorney General Sessions and then wrote a book about it. But one guy that figured it out without seeing the inside documents that the Mueller report would amount to nothing is my next guest. He's Dan Bongino. And I owe Dan, I tell him this all the time, you were the first person at a dinner that we had in Washington, I think it was before an inaugural, the inaugural address or the State of the Union, where you said to me, this, this, you pieced it together with me on a taxi ride. And it was like falling together like dominoes. It all made sense. Dan Bongino's got an outstanding podcast, one of the top ones in the country, The Dan Bongino Show, author of Exonerated, uh, The Failed Takedown of President Trump, joins us now. Dan, welcome. Good to be here, Brian. I, I appreciate that compliment, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out you know, some great sources that really helped me out. So, um, no, I'm, I'm glad you had listened to me that day on the call and you didn't blow me off. So I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it was in the cab ride. But see, you, you laid the groundwork for allow me to piece everything together. So as the pieces would roll in in weeks to come, I'd go, that, well, this is where this goes. This is where this goes. This is where this goes. Um, and it just was able for me to, to simplify it. And it's not simple. It's like catching, watching all my children on a Wednesday after they've already been on for 22 years and saying, who are these people? So I understand <laughs> right. sometimes people listen to my, this story and go, what? Who? When? What president? Yeah. So, go, so in, in retrospect, what's changed, what's changed since the memo came out on Monday uh, for our audience? Well, number one, Mike Flynn was not unmasked. and uh, Well, he was unmasked. Let me be crystal clear because precision matters. And liberals love to jump on the tiniest of mistakes. Mike Flynn's call with the Russian ambassador, which is the exclusive subject of his criminal persecution, not prosecution, the December 29, 2016 call. The media narrative you've been told up until now, now even the Washington Post has had to acknowledge it, is that, well, here's what happened with that call. We listen in on the Russians all the time, which is good. I'm glad we do that. And we happen to hear this person, this U.S. person talking to a Russian, Kislyak, and we ask for the name to be unmasked, Brian, and whoa, look at this, our luck, it happened to be Mike Flynn. How crazy. Now, that's the media story. That story is garbage. That story's always been garbage. That story is meant to cover for Obama because it makes it out like Obama wasn't targeting Flynn specifically. It makes it look like this was all an accident. That is not what happened. There, as I said to you on our Fox and Friends appearance on Monday, which I was glad you let me expound on this, Flynn's name was not unmasked between December 28th and January 4th. The call happens on December 29th. Now, you may say, well... Maybe his name was unmasked on the 4th, and they were asking for the December 29th call. No, inaccurate. The FBI's already admitted they had the call the same day, December 29th. So if Flynn's name was not unmasked and wasn't accidentally caught up in a Russian surveillance net, which I'm glad we have, by the way, then how did they get Mike Flynn's name? And the answer's been staring us in the face since Andy McCabe wrote his book the former deputy director of the FBI, where he tells the whole world who told him to go and get Mike Flynn's phone call. And the answer is the PDB staff, which stands for Presidential Daily Brief Staff. Obama's been behind this in his administration the entire time. And when, when a president turns around and says, I want Flynn's calls, is he allowed to do that? Well, the Washington Post is feverishly now. You know, it's, it's interesting. Last night, this was pitched as breaking news. Now, if you listen to my podcast on Friday, um, it's only breaking if you don't listen to conservatives. If you listen to the liberal media, it's breaking news. The Washington Post pitched the story last night. Flynn was not unmasked, again, a, a week late to the party. Um, but their new narrative is going to be this. Okay, we may have targeted Flynn and asked for his calls. But we only did so because we were trying to get a deeper understanding of why the Russians reacted the way they did to the expulsion of the diplomats. Okay, uh, that's that's total BS. Brian, there's a constitution in this country. And if what liberals in The Washington Post are now suggesting is that the president of the United States, if he has any questions about foreign policy, the constitution is put on hold, is absurd. Flynn has Fourth Amendment protection. But keep in mind. Nowhere in this Washington Post article where they finally acknowledge Flynn was targeted and not unmasked accidentally, nowhere in the article does it say anybody suspected Flynn of a crime 
or being a spy. It simply suggests that, oh, Obama just needed the information to better understand the Russians. This is how bad our media has gotten. And if you're not listening to shows like yours, networks like Fox and podcasters and Twitter people out there doing real homework, this story has totally escaped you. So when you say when they originally put this out and said, look at how many times Flynn has been unmasked and it went from November 30th through, I think, just December 29th. Right. Yeah, that's you're saying that, that they were. Did... Yeah. And I'm just no, wondering, saying to myself, I, yeah. well, they got what are they getting lucky? It's like putting your fish in the water and all you're getting is Flynn. All right, how do you know yeah. like who else was unmasked along the way unless well, they were going the... for Flynn to begin with? That's the bigger scandal that's about to emerge in the coming days. There's a significant amount of reporting by people I trust that it may have involved members of the Trump family, too. Brian, I mean, this scandal is about to explode. And, you know, I say to I'm sure you have liberal listeners and that's fine. I don't tell people how to vote or what their politics should be. I'm just saying the best day you had with regards to Obama being your messiah, the best day you had was yesterday because this is not going to get any better. You now have people in the DNI position interested in getting to the truth, and they don't care about media narratives. And as more of this information comes out, you are going to see feverish spin to protect the legacy of Obama. I mean, think about it, Brian. This should tell you something. If you Google the name Catherine Rumler, she's a key figure in every Obama scandal. She was his White House lawyer. She was given the name The Fixer after the Olivia Pope character in the TV show Scandal. Catherine Rumler has appeared in every significant Obama scandal trying to make it go away. The IRS scandal, the AP phone record scandal, the Secret Service scandal, the Benghazi scandal. Just Google it. You don't need my name word for it. Check it out yourself. Who's Susan Rice's lawyer who wrote a letter yesterday to the Senate about the infamous Susan Rice by the book email where she's trying to cover up for Obama and blame everything on Comey? Who is her lawyer? Catherine Rumler. Is it Rumler? Obama's fixer wow. is back again. She's back again. She's also the one defending the DNC against Carter Page's lawsuit about the dossier. You think this is all by chance? They're trying to defend Obama's legacy because they know what's about to come out is devastating. And do you think they knew it was about to come out in 2016, 2017, when they were about to leave? Is that like, what do you think prompted her to say, before you go, write this up? From the, from the January 5th conversation, write it up on January 20th. And do you think they did it on purpose after 12, which means the new administration came in? Here's what happens. Susan Rice gets wind, and this is in Sidney Powell's legal finding. Susan Rice and Mike Flynn both, the current National Security Advisor Susan Rice in December, and the incoming Mike Flynn, both get word from the United Kingdom that the dossier is a hoax. The United Kingdom says that guy, Christopher Steele, his information's BS. It's garbage. Susan Rice and Mike Flynn get that. Mike Flynn on January 6th, starts, uh, January 6th of 2017, starts asking Jim Comey, we know from Comey's own email, starts asking Comey questions about Steele's sources. Comey panics. I think that's why that January 5th meeting, they knew they had to take Flynn out. They know Flynn knows the dossier's garbage because he's got the letter from the U.K., Susan Rice knows it, too. So they know they've got to double down and get rid of Flynn. And Susan Rice writes that email strictly to protect herself and Obama and to push it off on Jim Comey, never realizing that it's going to become public and it's going to look really bad for them, like a CYA email, which is what it is. 
but she throws Comey under the bus. That's that's only to protect Obama, that email. It's not to protect Susan Rice. And if I'm just to take a step back, if you really believe that the incoming administration has people on it that are sympathetic to Russia, and you're James Comey, why wouldn't you say, Mr. President-elect, I need to speak to you. Can you help me with this? This is where my, I'm going to need a comment. I, I've, I've, got, I've gotten all these pieces to the puzzle. Congratulations on the way. i got all these pieces to the puzzle. Do you see what's going on here? Can you help me with this? I would have said it six months ago before he was president. And, yeah. and just, if yeah. that's an well, honest approach to it. But that, that's what makes you think. It's like that most people, Sally Yates seems to be saying, I don't know anything about her. Why wouldn't you brief Trump on this? Like, why are you not, what, what are you doing, James Comey? Do you, do you agree with that? Was Sally Yates a little befuddled about his approach? You know, you're asking questions uh, that not a lot of people, in me, I mean, ironically, when we were on on Fox and Friends on Monday, I was listening to you in the IFB talking to the FBI agent, Terry Turchi, and you're asking really smart questions. Again, I said to you on the air, I'm not saying that because you're a TV guy. I'm trying to butter you up. You're a friend. I don't care about any of that stuff. But I, I honestly said to myself, this guy's finally asking questions. Like, how would they get the call? That is a, it's a, it's a brilliant question. If you genuinely thought Mike Flynn was a spy to the point that an order from the presidential staff themselves to go target his phone calls originated from it, then how dare you not brief the incoming administration and allow a Russian spy to sit in the White House? The answer is obvious, Brian. Of course they didn't think Flynn was a Russian spy. They knew it was a hoax. The whole thing. The answer is obvious. They just made it up. It's always been bold. You get the always. Nobody ever took this dossier seriously. It's always been a hoax. They've been targeting Mike Flynn since 2015 and his 2014 dinner with Svetlana Lakova. He's been a subject of the Obama administration spying because he opposed the Iran deal and opposed the intelligence community's handling of battlefield intelligence. It's as simple as that. Obama spied on his enemies. It's no more complicated than that. And Flynn was public enemy number one. So, Dan... You want to take out Flynn, and then you realize, I got to take out Trump. And then to do that, some people are saying that Brennan used his contacts overseas to begin to work on people they thought were important, Papadopoulos and Carter Page. And that's when this thing gets really murky. Yeah. Well, Brian, none of that's a conspiracy theory. You say, oh, my God, did Brian Kilme just say that John Brennan, the CIA director, was was working with uh, targets overseas. Um, listen, I'm reading an article right now. For I have, I have, I keep it up on my phone because liberals don't believe it exists. This is from CNN.com from April of 2017 by Pamela Brown and Jim Shuto. British intelligence passes sensitive information on Trump to Obama administration. Uh, you can read the article right here, folks. I'm not messing with you. It is literally right here. It is still up at CNN. So they've already we already know Brennan was working with foreign partners to get information on the Trump team in circumvention of U.S. spy laws. We already know that. And what a lot of the smart people who've done research outside of the liberal media think is what Brennan was doing was a parallel construction scheme. In other words, what he was doing is getting information from foreign governments they shouldn't have been getting. They should have been doing it the right way. And then in order to make it seem legitimate, they were reconstructing it through the dossier, which is totally fake and then feeding it to the FBI to get it into law enforcement channels. That is the scandal. Brennan's the puppet master in this whole thing. 
It's funny. Sarah Carter and he says right he now. she must be listening to your show. Yes, Sarah, I got oh, your text. She says yep, he uh, needs to go. <laughs> who does? Sarah Carter is texting me right now. She must be listening to your show. She's talking about Brennan. She's like, yep, he needs to go. He's the puppet master. Brian, the liberal, and you may say to yourself, wait, why would CNN report about our intelligence agencies circumventing our U.S. laws to get information from foreign partners on the Trump team? The answer, again, is simple. Don't think about it in terms of what we know now. Think about it, what we knew in April 2017. These media idiots at CNN thought the Russian collusion thing was real. They're reporting on this at CNN, and they're saying, hey, this is so real. Even foreign countries were spying on the Trump team for us. You get it? That's the reason they have to the article. Because it's true. And CNN thought they were adding meat to the bone of a collusion thing they didn't realize was a hoax. And now they're in a bind because they're like, holy crap, we still have stories up on our website about Brennan spying on the, the Trump team with foreign partners. What do we do now? We can't delete them. They're true. Dan, it's uh, very involved. This way, your podcast, a huge hit, The Dan Bongino Show. Uh, it's available everywhere. And you also see them all over our channel and pick up Exonerated, the failed takedown of President Trump uh, by, uh, by the swamp. Another thing, Dan, is uh, we didn't even touch on what's going on with Hunter Biden. Looks like they're going to subpoena him and what's going on with this president. Uh, the President Zelensky and what he was talking to Joe Biden about. Those transcripts are out. So that's for another day. Dan, thanks so much. Yeah, Brian, always good to talk to you. See you later. Bye. All right. one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is a crusade for me now at this point, small business, because uh, we, we're in New York. We have no idea whether the PPP is going to last between when Bellasio and, and Cuomo figure things out. I mean, New York is proving to be uh, the epicenter of nothingness. And I, I listened to Andrew talk about how maybe if we were doing this show, I don't know, let's pick a city, Milwaukee. I, maybe we were thinking, what the heck is going on in New York? Because the answer is a whole lot of nothing. Jim Cramer on another channel. I can't believe it. You just can't believe the whole city has been brought down. Not even a section. You can't open up a section, see how it goes. You can't have monitors. You want to flood with tracers. I'm fine with that. What about experts? John Taffer. If I called John Taffer, I'm going to say, John, can you get me an army of volunteers, restaurateurs that would come to New York and advise restaurants to be COVID friendly, be cleaner than ever, be more sanitary than ever? Can we do it? Can we get one model and use it? We would flood the zone. There'd be volunteers out your ears. Believe me. But instead, shut it down. You better not drink outside. You better not be serving a drink and sitting on a bench. You better not be swimming. You better put, I'm going to put a fence up to keep you from the beach. And if you go outside for a while, make sure you go right back in. Oh, Governor Cuomo, it's your turn. 87% of the people that have tested positive, it turns out they were in. Let's find out there's more to know. More to know. Daryl Strawberry regrets leaving the Mets after the 1990 season. He memories an eight-time All-Star. He went to the Dodgers. He was a mess. So the fans are so different in L.A. L.A. fans come late. They leave early. New York fans come early, and they never leave. Next, Ryan Seacrest Seacrest responds to rumors that he had a small stroke because the last 12 minutes of American Idol, his uh, eyelid was dipped, and he was slurring his words. He says, no, I'm just tired. That's good news. He's a great guy. And lastly, Governor Cuomo still refuses to take responsibility. For nursing home deaths, 
He says, blame Trump. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Can't thank you enough for listening. Make sure you go to briankilmeade.com and order Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. It's the Texas victory that saved American history. So, and also, uh, make sure to listen to this show all the time and all the podcasts, briankilmeadeshow.com, which you can also get on iTunes. And if you have to travel and leave a local affiliate, use the radio.com app. Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for listening. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.